should wait to come out, that you should uh, try to gain rank or status before you do that. That's a bunch of bull It's a new day in the music industry, and I can reach my fans. We're getting there. I've caused harm to the political agenda, and which I'm actually happy for. I would say probably the best message to them is that they're on the wrong side of history. Whether you're lesbian, gay, bi, transgender, or whatever, love is love. Shout it out to the world. The Michelle Miao Show. Your A through Z covering the LGBT, LMNOP, and everyone in between show. And now here's your host, Michelle Miao. Welcome. Happy Tuesday. It is Tuesday and it's the last week of March. I mentioned that yesterday and I can't believe it. A third of 2016 is pretty much gone. (laughs) It's like gone with the wind. Uh, Tuesday means that it's my favorite day of the week because John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Glad to be here. She's only saying it's her favorite day because every time I'm here, I bring a whole plate full of tacos. Yay. You can smell them as we're John talking. knows me so well. Tacos for Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is it is it is such a thing. Uh, Taco Tuesdays. Um, they do them in a lot of places, especially the taqueria down the street from my place. $12, all you can eat. Taco Tuesdays. Amazing. Amazing. <laughs> anyway, but, you know, it's it, it could be Taco Tuesday today, but today there's there's lots going on in the news. And um, uh, some of you may know, and if you're just tuning in for the first time, John Zipper from Commonwealth Club hosts his uh, week-to-week political roundtable talk on Fridays here in the Michelle Miao Show. And so in the world of politics, geez, <laughs> presidential candidates and their, I don't know, at this point I can call them thugs. Is that... <laughs> A lot is happening, yes. Uh, You might have seen the headlines this morning about uh, Donald Trump's campaign manager uh, being arrested over a a battery or assault charge. He apparently manhandled a uh, Breitbart uh, reporter, Breitbart being a very conservative uh, news site. And in fact, she, the the reporter, left the site along with at least one other uh, journalist there after, after this happened initially. And the site was based, they were claiming the site basically wasn't defending them. It was defending Trump. And uh, so we'll see this. In other words, this story goes on. And uh, um, and it's not actually the biggest problem that Trump has today. As you know, uh, the uh, Wisconsin primary is coming up. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a very important one on the Democratic side. But on the Republican side, Donald Trump just gave this radio interview to Charles Sykes, who is a longtime conservative uh, radio host in uh, Wisconsin. And it was a disaster for Donald Trump. Uh, and in fact, at one point, Sykes said, you know, something to the effect of you're not running for, you know, sixth grade, you're running for president of the United States. Um, he did not come off well. So, and it, it, that is bouncing all over the, especially the conservative blogosphere. So today. what do you think? The tipping point uh, for, for Trump here? I mean, what, what goes up must come down. <laughs> the unraveling point of his campaign. Um, as a progressive, are you happy or sad? Because that means you end up almost certainly with uh, Ted Cruz, who is no great defender of uh, LGBTQ uh, uh, people. Right, so, right. Um, I don't know. I'm looking at it like I'm shooting ducks. One down. 
one more to go. <laughs> oh, wow. It's an aggressive morning here in the Michelle Miao <laughs> show. Um, uh, just a couple things. I mean, you know, obviously in the LGBTQ world, uh, lots happening and not so, so good news. Right. And it almost seems like, um, you know, they uh, have been working on, you know, these types of bills, these anti-gay bills for some time or that it kind of snuck up on us. It, it kind of feels that way. Uh, but our guest today will definitely um, we'll discuss that. We'll go we'll go that far. I wanted to bring up uh, the fact that Bernie Sanders just to wrap this up really quick. But Bernie Sanders taking, you know, Western caucuses by storm. Um, yeah, you'll notice he, uh, if you've been following the primaries and the caucuses, he does much better in the caucus states. And I think he's won almost all of the caucuses, the caucuses being different from primaries. That's right. literally where people have to go and. You know, they're they're there in a big room and, and, you know, so you have a different dynamic and different types of people who will show up to caucus rather than just, you know, mail in their ballot or show up mm -hmm. and, and vote. Um, on the other hand, you could also say that might have been his last hurrah because the primaries do not get, you know, it, it, the primaries that are coming up, she tends to be ahead in them. And uh, so it, that's why I say, mm. for example, Wisconsin yeah. is going to be watched. It is, you know, one of the last of the, you know, white... Uh, liberal uh, democratic constituencies and uh, even though she's apparently ahead as of this morning um, you know he's within striking distance and he'll probably do pretty well there he might steal Wisconsin California though in early June we'll see things that. are heating up and yeah. so if you're into it's politics exciting. please tune in Fridays right here on the Michelle Miel show four o'clock for John Zipper and his week-to-week -week political roundtable talk and if you were young you should tune in because <laughs> I feel like young people definitely need to be informed this presidential election a lot. Um, I think a lot is 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 at stake here. Well, and exactly what we're going to be talking about this hour, these these anti-trans bills that are just pop. It's like every day, every week, there seems to be another state that we're reading about or finding out uh, is having this, you know, one of these bills. That's why it, it matters that you not only pay attention now, but that you vote. You, you vote in those legislative elections. You vote in those midterm elections because those are the folks, far more than any president, right. who's going to be directly affecting your life. Well, let's get to it. Let's start the program. Today's show is brought to you by Pacific Fertility Center. When life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. Our next guest is the LGBT editor for Think Progress, and I think he's the perfect person to kind of lay it on us in terms of, uh, you know, the landscape of anti-gay LGBT bills. Uh, one article caught my attention, though, last week in which uh, he talked about, well, let me just read the title here, $2,500 bounty to hunt for trans people in bathrooms, and this is coming out of Kansas. Let's welcome Zach Ford to the program. Zach, thanks so much for being with us. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, Michelle. And you know, we have a Taco Tuesday in D.C. as well, but I opted for a burrito today instead. I know. I'm, I'm a super burrito fan, too. I, I dream of burritos. One day, while in D.C., I'll have to join you for Taco Tuesdays. Well, me and John. Um, so Kansas, I mean, before we even talk about what uh, a lot of people are focused on or what's you know on the news, such as North Carolina, such as Georgia, um, Kansas, this kind of you know isn't getting a whole lot of media play, but I appreciate your article. Um, let's talk about this anti-trans bill, and it's focused, again, it's focused on freaking bathrooms. Yeah, it's always about the bathrooms. Uh, you know, this the version of this bill that I wrote about with this sort of idea of a bounty uh, is not a totally new idea. There were a couple of bills last year that similar, similarly had it built in, but um, it struck me as maybe the most egregious version, this idea that 
the idea of seeing someone who is transgender in the bathroom was so damaging somehow that you should have the right to sue whoever let that trans person enter the bathroom. Uh, It's just, you know, it's bad enough that we're sort of criminalizing bathroom use by transgender people Mm -hmm. by just banning them from the restrooms, like in the North Carolina bill. But this is the case of like actually, you know, trying to find a retribution that someone should ever have to encounter a trans person is just, I I don't know how it's not the most naked form of, of transphobia, but what I what some activists have been joking about is, you know, if the law passes, just get a trans friend. You don't even need a trans friend, but, you know, it might be more authentic if you did. But just get, like, a friend of the other sex and just take turns going into each other's bathrooms and just rack up the points and file a suit and get, you know, you know obviously you wouldn't do that because you'd probably be suing a school or something. But, like, it's just so ridiculous to think about. It, it seems one of the most insidious parts of it is that it... it basically means if you're running that school, regardless of your views, you have to now police who's going to those bathrooms. Because like, kind of like, you, I mean, you're, you're joking about people kind of doing that, but um, $2,500 is going to add up pretty quickly. And I'm pretty sure Kansas is not overfunding its public schools. You know, they're, they're, it's, it's an absolute, I mean, it's a moral outrage, but I mean, it, it's also a, a, a legal bind that you're kind of forcing these uh, principals who frankly have far more important things to do to play a role in enforcing this extremely um, right-wing vindictive rule. Sure, and of course it violates what the Department of Education has interpreted Title IX to mean, which is that if you can't discriminate on the basis of sex in education, then you can't discriminate on the basis of gender identity either. And so, you know, any of these laws um, puts this whole state school system in conflict with federal law and puts their federal funding on the line. So, I, you know, it's, it's, it's really problematic for the trans students who are sort of outed and ostracized by it, and it's really problematic in that it, like, encourages um, the transphobic parents to, to look for opportunities to sue, but it really just endangers the entire education system, all based on this false premise that transgender people are somehow threats to, to safety and privacy um, just because they have to pee too. Uh, stick with that a little bit then. The, the Title IX uh, and the federal education uh, assistance, how, I mean, could that be used as a wedge to overturn this or something? Is, is this something that can be brought in as a legal challenge uh, before, you know, before this becomes law? Or, I mean, how does that actually come out? Because I think that, that's an interesting aspect. I know there was another state where that did play a role in the rejection of uh, one of these types of rules. Sure. I think you're thinking of South Dakota, which we kind of went through the whole mess just a month or two ago, and it it came up in the exact same way, and the conservatives who were vying for it tried to to downplay it, and in part uh, it was because they had conservative organizations like the Liberty Council, uh, you might remember as Kim Davis's lawyers, Mm -hmm. and uh, the Alliance Defending Freedom, who have been advocating, if not drafting the language for these bills across the country, who those two organizations promised pro bono service to defend schools if they were sued for, um, you know, abiding by Title IX and accommodating transgender students instead of following the state law. And, or I'm sorry, the reverse, if they, if they had problems with Title IX because they were following the state law. Um, but, you know, what the opposition pointed out that that might be good for attorney's fees, but it doesn't save federal funding if you lose, and it doesn't save damages. Uh, 
for a student that, you know, files a complaint because they're not getting accommodations. So it was sort of this false notion that they could, you know, circumvent that because they have these lovely offers from conservative legal firms. But it it's still a, a big question mark, and particularly in North Carolina, where it's now law that schools aren't allowed to accommodate transgender students. It's going to be a much more complicated uh, situation to resolve. Zach, just to get clarification, what is the status of this bill? In Kansas, mm-hmm. it's only been introduced. So as far as I know, it hasn't uh, progressed particularly far yet, um, but we'll be keeping an eye on it, um, hopefully not being distracted too much by all of the other crazy things happening in other states. Now, Kansas already had, uh, am I correct, uh, Governor Brownback, is that his name, had uh, already uh, passed a, or signed a bill that uh, overrules local protections of LGBTQ folks. Is that correct? I... Uh, so the, the bill that he signed actually had to do with student groups at universities. Okay. This is a, a conflict that's played out a couple of times, and it actually went all the way to the Supreme Court um, about seven years ago, I think, in a case called uh, uh, Christian Legal Society v. Martinez. It's the idea of whether or not a student organization has to abide by the school's non-discrimination policy in order to receive the benefits that come with being recognized, such as funding from student fees, access to, you know, meeting spaces on campus, all of those kinds of things. And so the bill that they, that did get signed into law um, just last week, I think, was uh, a, a law that said any student group that has a religious belief about sexual orientation or gender identity uh, can free, be free to continue to practice those religious beliefs and still receive that funding. So it basically means that students at those universities uh, may pay fees into supporting an organization which they're then not allowed to join. I wonder, you know, it's interesting that this particular bill focuses on the education system or, you know, college students um, in in which some states have gone full blown to say that all transgender people from youths to adults, you know, they're trying to ban public accommodation use. Um, What are your thoughts, Zach? I mean, in terms of focusing or zeroing zeroing in on um, the education system, do they think that students are far more, um, I guess, you know, inclined to discriminate against another student? Uh, I mean, I think it's a couple of things. I think, one, that there's all of this fear-mongering that happens around the idea of transgender people in restrooms, and it's strongest with moms. Uh, It's no different than, you know, back in the Prop 8 case in California where we had the princess ad, right? And like one of the most effective arguments that opponents of same-sex marriage used was this idea that kids are going to learn that you can be gay in school and we have to nip this in the bud. Uh, And the fact that we have lots of uh, trans kids coming out and and living openly and socially transitioning, um, you know, even at the youngest of ages, like three and four, um, these families are seeing it and encountering it. And in a lot of cases, they're the ones that are sort of instigating pushback um, and seeking out these these conservative legal groups to to help them. So I think that there's there's that focus of um, these are the, the... audiences that are going to be most receptive to this because they have those fears, they have those biases, uh, and it's also a group that doesn't have a lot of power to resist, right? Um, students themselves are not a significant political force, so it's it's an easier target, I think, um, to get in there, and obviously it's something that the government controls, so they can also justify that it makes sense for them to have laws, you know, uh, standardizing it as they like to claim, um, making the, the policies consistent. 
Ugh, that just makes me sick. Anyway, we got to take a quick break right here, but when we come back, we'll do we'll continue our discussion with Zach Ford from Think Progress. Don't go away. The Michelle Miao show continues right after this. You're listening to the Progressive Voices channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. When asked, 90% of seniors say they want to remain in their own homes as they age. Hello, I'm Charles Symes, owner of Allegra Home Care. Our caregivers have been serving seniors and the aging community for over 20 years. Allegra Home Care is the only Bay Area home care agency that is LGTB certified. Helping LGTB seniors stay at home is our passion. Please visit us at www.alegrecare.com. Allegra Home Care, serving your community. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Happy Taco Tuesday. <laughs> if you're celebrating out there, Michelle Meow here and John Zipper of Commonwealth Club. Our special guest, guest today is Zach Ford. He's the LGBT editor for Think Progress. Uh, you definitely should follow his work. I mean, especially if you want to stay up to date with uh, things that are happening in the LGBTQ world. And so before the break, we touched on Kansas's attempt to discriminate against transgender students. Can, can I jump in there? Yeah, you were sure. Talk, you were talk, asking kind of why schools, why go after schools. Yeah. And Zach, I'm wondering what you think about this. Isn't part of it also that teachers unions have been so weakened, especially in these these you know Republican uh, governed states, that they can't mount a, a, an effective uh, uh, defense, really? Well, I mean, I think there's some truth to that. Although, thankfully, we won Fred Friedrichs today, so we're they're they're going to be okay for a little while. But um, you know, I don't know that teachers necessarily. Um, on the local level are always primed to resist these kinds of things either. Um, I, I think you're right that they're, they're sort of weak enough that they, they have to fight for what they have, but I also think that, you know, they still have to live and work in these communities, and if they're getting a lot of pushback from, you know, these families who are concerned, they're, they're not necessarily in a position um, because then their own credentials as a teacher can be called into question, right? Like, oh, you would support this student who identifies as transgender? Well, like, you know, I think that's a bad thing, so I think you're a bad teacher. I think that there's, there's a risk involved, or at least they perceive a risk um, in, in engaging in that way. Now, certainly at the national level, the teacher unions are incredibly LGBT supportive. Um, you know, Randy Weingarten in particular, you know, obviously as the head of one of the biggest unions uh, and being openly gay herself, like, you know, she she embodies that, but mm-hmm. uh, I, I think it's a little tougher when these fights are local. So, who is mounting a defense then? Who I mean, we we see in in some of these other states where these you know religious freedom laws, so called, have uh, either been proposed or signed. Actually, um, it has been big business that is that is mounted. Perhaps the mm, most visible, point. but I don't I don't know if they're actually the most effective or not. Who do you see actually being able to mount a defense, an effective defense? I mean, the answer is not clear uh, in that, you know, like we just lost the, the hero fight in Houston in November and we've, we've really um, been 
struggling to fight a lot of these things. You know, like we, it got to the veto stage in South Dakota. Um, it got to the veto stage in Georgia. You know, uh, the the defense that we're pushing back, even in Georgia where it was so strong, uh, it, these conservative lawmakers who, you know, are, are in gerrymandered districts and very comfortable in their seats don't necessarily care uh, what the repercussions are because their seat's still safe. So there's... Uh, it's really hard to, to find ways to resist this until it gets to the governor's desk and, and you can make it about the fate of the whole state. I think what's really going to be interesting is to see what continues to happen in North Carolina because, you know, they forced theirs through in one day yeah. and it's law. There wasn't that opportunity to have public debate. There wasn't the opportunity for, you know, transgender students and, and other trans folks in the state to, to talk about what impact it could have. There wasn't the opportunity for businesses to chime in about how it affects whether they want to continue to work on the state. Uh, it just happened really quick because all of the conservative mm-hmm. lawmakers and the conservative governor wanted it to. So Great. now it's... I was just going to say thank of, you. Thank you so much for, for that and for clarifying that. Uh, go ahead, Zach. Sure. I mean, the, the question now is, it's up to businesses that want to help fight this discrimination in North Carolina to actually step up because since it's already law, they don't have the power of a threat. They only have you know, to, to put their money where their mouth is and mm-hmm. say, okay, we've made these threats in other states, and now we're actually going to act because you've done this terrible thing. You're really hurting our workers and our, our you know, uh, customers, and we're not going to continue to, to support the economy of the state anymore. So we'll see if they can really follow through in that regard. Well, and, and I'm not overly optimistic considering that how many of these big businesses that have, you know, criticized Georgia and North Carolina are themselves the ones who have funded these, you know, majorities of conservative uh, politicians to get into to you know to control these uh, legislatures and to get into the uh, state houses because they were more interested in you know low taxes. Yeah, exactly. Um, I want to turn our attention to North Carolina and John. Great questions, you know, because uh, a lot of a lot of times when these bills uh, get passed or when they're introduced, we're like, "Oh man, that's so crazy!" Like it's it's not it's never going to pass, and then it passes. Like right. in in which Zach just clarified how that happened in North Ca- Carolina. Um, some some of us though are just wondering. I mean, what's left? I know that there's uh, a federal lawsuit. Um, from the ACLU of North Carolina that has just been filed, but what are our chances in terms of reversing this bill that has already passed? Well, you know, it's not going to happen this week. Um, I think there's a lot of organic stuff happening on both sides of the debate in the state right now in that I don't think that the the governor or the lawmakers quite anticipated how brutal the backlash would be. Um, I'm actually working on a post uh, today about all of the different... As far as I'm concerned, lies uh, that he is telling to try to pull damage control on this um, because they're so flagrantly wrong that you know there's there's no way to to sort of forgive him for just being uh, misleading about it. Um, but at the same time, you know the the legislature is pretty protected right now. Um, it's up to voters to actually change that. We know that North Carolina used to be. Um, somewhat blue, if not at least reliably purple, and in recent elections just took a very sharp turn uh, towards being a, a redder state. And it's going to take a different legislature to reconsider this and reconsider what are North Carolina values and, and who are North Carolina citizens that, and what do they need to be protected. Well, those forces that made that legislature solid red or almost solid red, certainly under solid red control, 
um, they're going to be spending big in every election in, you know, to ensure that, that that remains the same. Do you think liberals and Democrats and, and their allies are going to spend big on, you know, these non-marquee uh, uh, elections and, um, you know, in places that aren't top of mind, most people? And, and, well, and also, I'm sorry, but and also, will they vote? You know? I mean, these are great questions that I certainly don't have any more insights than anybody else. I think what will help a lot in the North Carolina election is the fact that the current attorney general uh, is the Democratic candidate running to replace uh, Pat McCrory in the governor's office. And he announced this morning that he's actually not going to defend uh, this law. And right. so it's going to actually um, help politicize it in a way that I think will be helpful because, you know, they already had to spend $42,000 to call the special session to pass it in the first place. And now what will likely happen is the governor will hire outside counsel to defend in this lawsuit, and that will cost the taxpayers even more money. So it will be very easy to say, look, they did this really ugly thing, and now they're wasting more of your money to try to keep hold of it. You know, I, I think that will really help energize a lot um, in the local election there in North Carolina. But I don't know that similar things will happen in other states. Um, and particularly with all of the gerrymandering that's happened, um, it's not something that's going to change in any given election year. It's going to take another census. It's going to take um, Supreme Court cases about gerrymandering to really start to undo how rigged the system really is. Um, and in North Carolina, the reason they did it all in one day was because they had to get this through and signed and everything in or- because to prevent a local law of, of, with, with protections in it from going into uh, uh, action the next day. Is that correct? Right. It, it passed in Charlotte. But the funny thing yeah. is that Charlotte wasn't the first city to do it. There were mm-hmm. other cities that already had protections either just for sexual orientation or for sexual orientation and gender identity. And it voids all of them. It's a, what we call a preemption law because it says that municipalities like cities, towns, and counties can't extend any protections beyond what's at the state level. The state law preempts um, whatever the local laws might be. Uh, and actually, this, what's not getting talked about much is that this law even preempts all employment protections that cities might do, not just based on discrimination categories, but like minimum wage and benefits. If one of the cities in North Carolina wanted to have a higher minimum wage, this law prevents them from doing so. And I, I haven't done all the research to see if there were cities that had policies like that, but it, it really was an attack on all workers, not just trans people and not just LGBT people more broadly. Good point. As we're winding down here, Zach, I, I think that it's also important to note to our listeners, I mean, the funny thing is there's the, the handful or a rash of anti-gay LGBT bills popping up in these red states uh, that claim religious freedom. But um, don't we already have religious freedom? I mean, I think it's important for if you're hearing it for the first time or if you are Christian or Catholic and think that because there's marriage equality now um, that you don't have rights, I think it's important for us to clarify for you that you still do. (laughs) That's not changed. Well, you know, the, the problem, Michelle, is how people define religion, and mm-hmm. the people who want the most privilege define it in the broadest possible way. And so, you know, the cases of the, the bakers and the florists and the photographers, this is all this notion that religious liberty, liberty entitles you to discriminate, entitles you to infringe on somebody else's basic access to goods and services. And we know from going through the civil rights area and having the same conversation about race, that it's, you know, nonsense. It's your, your right to believe, your right to hold certain ideas, your right to hold, to practice your faith, to uh, engage in religious services and, and, and whatnot. 
all of that is protected under the law, but you, that's not what you're doing when you refuse service to someone. You're, you're violating your, your contract with the public when you do that, uh, and religion is not something that entitles you to do that uh, in our society. So it's, it's a misnomer. It's a, it's a talking point that sounds really good, but when you really break it down, it's just discrimination, and I don't know anybody's faith that actually uh, entitles that. There's a meme going around on Facebook and probably elsewhere uh, saying that it's not about the bathrooms, just like it wasn't about the water fountains. Mm. Exactly, and there was bathrooms back then, too. Uh, One of my my colleagues wrote a piece last year about how they used the same sort of scare tactics about about bathrooms um, in fights over just the paying women equally or um, similarly in in the civil rights cases with race. So, you know, it's, it's a scare tactic because bathrooms take us to this, you know, private, safe place that we feel vulnerable. Um, and so it's very easy to take whoever is the scary boogeyman um, and put them in that space to, to sound like we need to, to resist something. Hey, Zach, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And uh, thank you for all your work. I, I miss you. I hope to come out to a Netroots Nation soon uh, if you're, you're attending this year. Sure. Well, I, you know, I'm glad to be back on the show. So let's uh, not be strangers, Michelle. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to call you now almost every day. Hey, Zach. <laughs> uh, follow Zach's work by following him on Twitter at Zach Ford, or you can head to thinkprogress.org. Don't go away. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, we'll continue our conversation about the anti-trans bills that are popping up around this country. So don't go away. Hi, my name is Courtney Ziegler, and I'm the founder of TransHack, which is an organization focused on creating technology for the trans community and visibility for trans technologists and entrepreneurs. Tech is like the new industrial revolution. There's so many opportunities for wealth building and wealth creation. It's perfect for the trans community, which experiences strong amounts of unemployment um, and low wages. TransHack um, provides an opportunity for trans individuals to take advantage of the wealth creation that the tech industry provides. Um, It's a space in which people who are in charge of innovation and development, all these awesome things that we are able to use through technology, are paid really well for that. And so I think that trans people should definitely have their hand in in that space and creating that. And so TransHack provides that opportunity. I got my first computer when I was 15 years old in the 90s, and it changed my world ever since then. And I went on to become an independent filmmaker who had to uh, not only write direct my own films, but also was kind of doing the technical stuff behind it, which is the editing and the capturing, all those things. I've always had this kind of tech-based background. I'm just very curious about a lot of things and just very fascinated about things that I don't know um, and things that can make me a better person. All of that motivates me. I'm just like, what else can I know? What else can I do? What else can I learn? Success to me means a number of things. I think right now in my life personally, it means waking up every day and feeling proud of the work that I'm doing and proud of myself. Just know what you want to get out of any particular industry. Um, It's not an industry that's 100% inclusive in the ways that it should be, in the ways that it's progressing towards. Of all types of people, in in terms of creating the tech and the industry itself, building its infrastructure. Um, But that's also exciting in the fact that, like, um, people like me have a lot of room to change a lot of things and a lot of precedent to set so um, and that is the, the epitome of success spotlight on success and achievement is brought to you by wells fargo together we'll go far
And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Thank you so much for joining us here on this Tuesday. I'm Michelle Meow, your host. And of course, it's Tuesday. So John Zipper of Commonwealth Club is here with us. Pleasure. We're going to continue our conversation about these anti-LGBT legislation that's um, popping up, or I should say bills that are being proposed, and then alarmingly one has just been passed in North Carolina. Um, And so our next guest is James, and he is with Believe Out Loud. James, thanks so much for joining us. Sure, thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Let's focus on what everyone is turning their attention. And I say everyone as far as anybody who's interested in this, um, you know, uh, bill in North Carolina that's got a lot of people uh, either speaking up and out against the bill or trying to support it from the religious liberty perspective. But what is HB2 out of North Carolina? Because I think that a lot of people are just kind of reading headlines as well, and they're thinking that it's specifically an anti-trans bathroom bill. But there's a lot more that goes into it, right? Oh, no, for sure, for sure. And actually, they one of the things which has nothing to do with the LGBT community that they were adding into this bill had to do with minimum wage. So it's really important that as these anti-LGBT LGBT bills come forward, that people are really paying attention to the fine print. Because what they're really doing is trying to add in other pieces of legislation underneath that bill that other people aren't aware of. So these bills are not just uh, attacking the LGBT community. They're also attacking other communities that are also at risk as well. That's a really interesting point. We were talking earlier about businesses being vocal in opposition to the law. And I had asked if uh, those businesses, you know, some of those same businesses are the ones who have funded these, you know, the right wing uh, takeovers of uh, legislatures. Uh, for tax reasons, for, you know, business-friendly legislation. Uh, it sounds like this legislature knew what it was doing. It put some sweeteners in there. It, it, I couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> there, there is definitely um, an intentional effort on um, many legislators' uh, uh, actions right now. So, mm-hmm. uh, yes, and, and what Believe Out Loud is trying to do is we're trying to combat these anti-LGBT legislation um, by offering an LGBT-affirming Christian perspective. Hmm. Um, because many of the authors of these uh, anti-LGBT legislation um, are conservative Christians. And I believe out loud, we definitely see the value of uh, being a Christian organization and speaking from one Christian to another. Ooh, um, this is going to get interesting. I'm, re- I'm going to stop you right there just because I want to okay. pull out the very specifics of this bill, and then I want to mm-hmm. go back to... Yeah, how how are you going to have the conversation with some of these who seem to um, not budge? You know, when it comes to LGBTQ rights, especially the evangelical, you know, very conservative, conservative right wing um, Christians. So, as far as HB two HB two goes, HB two is the name of the bill. I can't talk today. What is wrong with me? Um, <laughs> Basically, what it does and how it impacts the LGBTQ community is that it has reversed a uh, an ordinance that was already in place, right? That protected right. LGBTQ people, and so uh, which uh, HB two now doesn't allow that. It it doesn't allow local governments in North Carolina to provide an anti discrimination law that is protective of sexual orientation and gender identity. Is that correct? That's exactly right, and and it was passed in Charlotte. So Charlotte was trying to offer their LGBT community protection, 
and they had the support of Charlotte, but unfortunately not the rest of, uh, at least the government of North Carolina. And there, but there were other cities in in the town in the state that had offered protections, right? Charlotte wasn't the first. Uh, I, to the best of my knowledge, I thought Charlotte was the first. Okay. Mm. Um, it's important. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's important. And the reason why, uh, the trans community is so vocal and it's been branded in some, you know, media outlets as the bathroom bill in, uh, in, in North Carolina is the fact that the most vulnerable of our communities will be directly, directly impacted. I mean, I think, uh, I, if not already now, uh, if you can kind of just uh, discuss why people might think that this bill um, is really the bathroom bill, that would be great. Well, I think what's happening is in a lot of these um, debates around whether it's religious liberty, religious freedom, um, or these bathrooms, somehow it generally gets to the argument around the bathrooms because Legislators have found that um, their fear tactics can work, um, and that's basically the premise with which they're trying to push through their legislation. But, um, for instance, I, I don't want to jump states or anything, but Tennessee is a, just a really awesome example of just how dangerous um, these anti-trans uh, bathroom bills just are, uh, if, if, if I may. HB 2414 require students, including those in public schools and universities, to use bathrooms and locker rooms according to the sex indicated on the student's original birth certificate. But in Tennessee, that's one of the states where uh, trans people are not allowed to change the sex marker on their birth certificate. Mm -hmm. So they're in a no-win situation. And you know, no one's looking out for our, our trans folks. And, right. and that, you know, the LGBT community needs to also do better. Right. Right. Now, let's get to that part where, you know, as a Christian organization, I mean, how do you have a discussion with these religious politicians who are using, in my opinion, you know, fear mongering and uh, um, all kinds of uh, scare tactics to communities out there, inclusive of the LGBTQ community, by the way, um, mm -hmm. in trying to pass these laws? Because it, it's so hard to have a discussion uh, with them when they're using re religious liberty as justification to discriminate. And I'm hearing it all over and over and over and over with someone like Matt Staver, I'm sorry, Matt Staver of the Liberty Council who says, no, Michelle, we love you. That's the thing. We're, we're, we're praying for you. We love you. It's just that you've got to allow us to, to be able to practice what we believe in. We do not believe in marriage equality. So we, we don't believe in transgender people and we should be allowed, uh, you know, to, to not service you or, or, you know, I guess not allow us to go to the bathrooms. Um, so I'm interested to hear from your perspective, a Christian organization, an LGBTQ Christian organization, uh, what kind of conversations are you having with these types of leaders? Well, I, I think the first response and will always be my first response, is discrimination is not a Christian value. And, I mean, that's really the core of Christianity. And I think it's, it's just as important for us to speak up as Christians, whether or not we're able to change anyone's mind, um, that's important as well. But I think it's also important that we as Christians also speak up and stand up for our Christian beliefs and not allow one particular interpretation of Christianity 
to be the only um, the only conversation out there. So uh, I mean, I'm a Catholic. Uh, I grew up Catholic. Uh, I chose Catholicism. My family did not go to church. So um, my my Catholic uh, faith is very important to me, and so I try to as much as possible speak for my you know Catholic identity. And as a Catholic, I'm taught to follow the teachings of Jesus. And there is nothing, nothing in anywhere of Jesus' teachings that implies that Jesus wouldn't have done anything but stand up for LGBTQ people. And I'm, I'm so certain of that. <laughs> and, and what is the, you know, when we, especially, you know, we're calling you from San Francisco, uh, when mm-hmm. a lot of folks think about the South, they're thinking of, you know, rock-ribbed, uh, you know, fundamentalist uh, churches. Are there, I, I assume you're in communication with a number of churches and and. Christian and other religious leaders who uh, agree with you. I please tell oh. me I'm correct. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can relieve any fears there. Uh, <laughs> yes, for sure. We actually um, we partner with all the different um, Christian denominations, and there are many, mm-hmm. um, and they all speak from a different place. So that's a, sort of another little challenge um, in doing this work is you know making sure that you can speak as broadly um, from a Christian perspective. Um, but to answer your question, we have a map on our website that has over 5,000 welcoming and affirming um, Christian churches throughout the country, um, and that includes all different denominations. And there is definitely a very large and um, supportive Christian community out there. And for a lot of people, you know, their their uh, their experience within the Christian church is is has been anything but welcoming and affirming. So they usually um, Find believe out loud with a sense of joy and relief, knowing that um, there's there's actually literally millions out there that support them. I, I don't mean to um, I don't want to come off as cynical at all, and That's I love okay. I love that. Okay. <laughs> well, I love that you know the Christian community is growing to be much more inclusive of LGBTQI um, uh, people, you know, now than it's ever it's ever have in the history that I know of. I mean, at least in the last five years. Um, and other religious communities, that's that includes, you know, Catholics as well. But it seems like these fundamental right wing Christian organizations have found an opportunity. And I, I call it an opportunity because you've got the uh, Christian bakers and the business owners who, um, in my opinion, you know, they uh, are not are not winning, but they have support. You know, like the pizza guys out in Indiana, although they had to close up shop. I mean, they received donations up to six figures. There's something there when people say, mm-hmm. um, I'm being discriminated against because I believe in God. Do you think that that justification uh, will continue to have support uh, so long as they continue using it? And especially when we're talking about religious freedom all across the country uh, as it pertains to marriage equality. Hmm. That's a good question. Um, hmm. Yeah. You know, and, I and, think it's... It's always been a question that I've I've had after interviewing the Benham brothers um, and uh, Scott Lively, you know, who seem to, oh, sure. to 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 come off as victims that you know the gay Gestapo or the <laughs> the the gay uh, mafia is really against them attacking them. Well, and and they've they've had success with it because they're not playing on something that only has currency with conservative Christians, you know, broadly liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican religious, non-religious in this country support, of course, you should have religious freedom, you know? Um, and again, the, 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 the idea of victimhood 
they're taking the playbook from the left. You know that that the, the, the which which was where you are talking about right. communities that are are threatened and and have been you know harassed you know mm-hmm. uh, uh, mass incarceration all these issues and but they're applying it to people who are well the vast majority of folks yeah so it's yeah I mean you're 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 absolutely right James it's like there's not an easy answer to that but it 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 is something we all kind of have to wrestle with because right. they're they're kind of going to one of the core. <sighs> vulnerabilities of American political debate, which yeah. is, okay, you've got us on that topic, and even if I don't agree with you, I just realize you just split off these, you know, various different groups that are either going to support you now or are going to not oppose you. And, and you know, the just to follow up on my question and clarify, mm-hmm. James, I just feel like for yourself and for your organization, Believe Out Loud, I mean, you're taking... Um, what I consider an incredible feat. Like this is this is not easy, and you're in in and I can only imagine how many times you may feel defeat or not. But if you can offer us some insight in terms of, um, maybe even just a positive anecdotes in terms of uh, people's feelings changing. Uh, you know what I mean? Give Michelle some hope. <laughs> yeah, is there hope out there for you know uh, uh, faith affirming LGBTQI Christians um, when we're up against these leaders who have been able to turn the conversation around us? And the worst part is taking money from people and, and, and doing the whole victim blaming thing. Right. Well, and and I, I would not not to uh, dispel any hope, but I wouldn't expect these legislations to go away anytime soon. I mean, these are, these are definitely um, conservative folks who are reacting to marriage equality last year. I mean, you know, everyone's needing to re-examine how they're relating to the LGBT community as a result. And legislators are just, like Oklahoma, for instance, has eight different um, legislations that are being proposed. So there's definitely desperation. Um, I think we're going to see people probably paying even closer attention um, when some of these that are offering uh, are asking for like religious protection, meaning that my religious beliefs prevent me from doing X, Y, or Z. Um, And some of these uh, exemptions are so broad that it would allow me, if I had objections to a single mother, to, to refuse service to a single mother because I disagree with fact that they're not married and don't have a husband. You know, so this, these bills can extend way past the LGBT community. And I think when the rest of the country starts to recognize that, I think there will be even more buy-in for this. But it's just a little bit of hope from the Catholic community. Um, 73% support um, LGBT non-discrimination laws. So the majority of Catholics out there do not feel that LGBT people should be discriminated against in our legal system. So they're out there. It's just that the ones who are getting, you know, the, the most time, the ones getting the most play in the media are, unfortunately, the conservative Christians. And I believe out loud, we see people totally changing their minds, whether they're clergy, whether they're family members, um, whether they're you know, fellow churchgoers. We see people find believe out loud, believing one thing and through the course of time and understanding and reading and hearing other people's stories, you know, they, they become welcoming and affirming as well. 
James, thank you so much for joining us here on the program and for doing the work that you do. And I'm so appreciative of organizations like Believe Out Loud. You guys are really taking on the challenge there. Um, but come back and, and join us anytime. I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Don't go away right after the break. John and I shut the show down. Or, well, what do you say? We wrap up is what we're going to do. So come back and, and join us for our um, little, you know, banter. <laughs> You're listening to the Progressive Voices Channel on TuneIn. Please help us grow. Tell your friends to tune in to Progressive Voices. Find out more at ProgressiveVoices.com. Babe, I think we're ready. We're really doing this. Yeah, I'm ready for our family. So where do we start? (laughs) Starting a family is a team effort, and when life needs a little encouragement, Pacific Fertility Center will be right by your side. As a unified team of the best fertility specialists, guided by the highest ethical standards, Pacific Fertility Center provides patients with compassionate fertility care. Visit PacificFertilityCenter.com. And now, back to the Michelle Meow Show. Welcome back. Hopefully you're enjoying your Taco Tuesday. <laughs> I'm Michelle Miao, your host. John Super of Commonwealth Club is here with us on Tuesdays. Um, don't forget that all of our podcasts or the shows that we do together is loaded up at Commonwealth Club. You can just head to commonwealthclub.org slash meow. That's correct. I love it. Thank you for that special page. I really do enjoy my time, you know, every Tuesday with you. You do bring uh, an... A refreshing energy to the show. Really? I can't imagine you being low energy ever. <laughs> well, you know, I think yesterday it was a little low energy. Um, there are days when it gets low, especially when some of the topics or issues are pretty serious. And I'm the only one sitting here and I start to get <laughs> like, huh, the world it's going to come crashing down soon. And half of the program is either you weeping or snoring. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can see that's bad. Yeah. Um, I... I, I also appreciate, you know, just what you bring in terms of your insight uh, regarding politics, your intelligence uh, regarding, you know, everything else um, that you're so smart about. <laughs> She's saying all these nice things about me. She's either about to fire me or ask no. me to marry her. Uh, ask me to. Uh, yes. You know what? I do need a um, what's it called? The uh, you God know, only knows what <laughs> when gay people have a pseudo oh, like, a fake. Oh, what yeah. Is it called? Yes. Yeah, well, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. That that has happened in the community, so I'm able to discuss and say that. Okay, <laughs> um, but no, and something that I did want to bring up to you. I mean, just uh, th- this feeling about being a progressive. Um, I don't know why, but it feels kind of ugly right now, uh, and I think that that has a lot to do with you know people who are Hillary supporters and people who are Bernie supporters. That I'm so afraid to even voice my opinion. And I, I do it in the comfort of my own home. How do you feel? I just saw someone today online saying, I'm I'm not saying anything anymore about this <laughs> because you know he's been attacked so much by supporters of the other candidate. Let's just keep it blind like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it is sad to see because um, it's people who are, are on both sides who are very impassioned, who feel very strongly about their candidate and about the ideas and such. And really, there's not a whole heck of a lot of difference between them as far you know, it's not the difference between A and Z. It's the difference mm-hmm. between, between A and B. Mm-hmm. And yes, Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders are very different in some ways. But, you know, neither one of them is going to 
I have a campaign manager who roughs up women. The last time I felt this much um, angst, angst, and and uh, clear division w- between our own party line uh, was back in college when I think it was Gore who ran against Nader. Nader as an independent, yeah, within the geo- within the Democratic Party, I think what was it? Was it Bill Bradley's attempt? To mm-hmm. challenge him, and and you know Gore obviously won pretty handily, but then yeah Nader on uh, as an independent third party candidate, and that's of course the fear of a number of folks that mm-hmm. uh, Bernie Sanders, who does not seem to be doing the math right now, right? Well, that sounds biased, but I mean it. The math is very tough for him, not impossible, but it's tough, and so they're wondering is he going to either stay in so long that he'll damage, you know, Hillary Clinton's. Uh, fortunes instead of uniting behind her, or would he, you know, go back on his word and, and go as a mm-hmm. third party candidate? Because I, I, you know, when uh, Bush won, Bush Jr., <laughs> I mean, that was like the saddest day, uh, one of the saddest days of my life. And, and, and the reason why is I didn't understand it at that point because I was very young, but there are a lot of people who are mentors to me who are very into politics who said, this is a very sad day in America's history because a lot is about to change. And sure enough, within a year of him um, being president of the United States, just, you know, it's just, we know, we know what freaking happened, right? This country just went to shit. Well, and, and I think that's a really important thing to remember. It's not just the person in the White House. It's all of the people they appoint, all of those people who either fill up agencies or who are appointed to head agencies and the people they hire. And so you ended up with someone from a, you know, a a right-wing religious group who was doing personnel hiring for the occupation in Iraq. And so they were, you know, they had to have voted for uh, George Bush. And I think they were asked questions about abortion and things like that. It's like, this is insane. Mm -hmm. It really does matter, A, that you vote Mm -hmm. and B, who you vote for. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And uh, you said something before the break that we should probably say again, um, because you asked me how active I've been in making sure that I vote at every chance that I get. And I had to admit to you in the last four years, you know, I've been, you know, pretty relaxed, except the major, um, you know, like, for example, selecting a president of the United States. Uh, So I come out every four four years, which is not good. Well, and and that's actually a pattern you see on the Democrats. The Democrats come out big on the presidential election years. And for whatever reason, they don't on the midterm. However, the Republicans come out big on the midterms, right? Especially if they've lost their last presidential election. So they're literally a reactionary party at that point, or not not to tar them completely with that. Um, it happened to Bill Clinton. Obviously, it happened to uh, President Obama. Whether it's Hillary Clinton or uh, Bernie Sanders in the White House, there's going to be a massive, uh, you know, rebound or whatever of Republicans then in the next midterm in 2018. So it's not a matter of just getting excited because you really want Bernie Sanders in office or you really want Hillary Clinton in in office. It's voting on all those other Mm -hmm. votes because all of those other positions, those are the folks who maybe are just in a state legislature somewhere. They're the ones who are going to be writing bills about whether or not you can use a bathroom. Right. You know, they're the ones who are going to be um, you know, writing regulations on, on state marriage stuff, you know, yeah, sure. It's legal. Oh, it's almost impossible to get. It'll be like mm-hmm. abortion in Texas, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I urge people just vote, vote, vote. You know, one thing about Hillary and then I'll end here, um, because again, I'm very reluctant to share my, my views. I, I really am going to stay quiet until I know who that's just, people can't see you, but you're wearing your Donald Trump t-shirt. That's just, <laughs> 
I don't people need to know that. That's funny. Um, she's not. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't, I mean, I get where people, you know, want to call her a liar. Uh, as far as, you know, all this stuff that's been going on in the media and, and people blaming her for not being transparent. But at the same time, it's like I don't remember any presidential candidate being completely transparent. And I know that, you know, throughout the history of America's presidents, uh, they all have lied about something. But for some reason, there's this negative feeling behind calling, you know, a woman a liar. Um, and I, let me take a shot at this. I think it's a, a bit of a play on there's no way you could have gotten there by playing it right. Mm. You know? Mm-hmm. There's no way, yeah, sure, you were in the Senate and you were a first lady and you were, you know, you've done this and all these things and you were a high-powered lawyer and you did, you worked on, you know, all kinds of good causes throughout the decades. But to actually be the front runner, no. There's something, there's this, you know, for someone who isn't into her, they're looking for some excuse for her being there. And I think when it comes from the progressive uh, community, I, it's just so hurtful to me. I don't know. Cause then it's like, okay, so you uh, were a feminist and all of a sudden you're not. <laughs> anyway, that's just food for thought. We'll wrap up our conversation regarding the presidential campaign and Bernie and Hillary. If you have your own thoughts, you can definitely let us know by heading to michellemeow.com. And, um, and now to wrap, you know, this conversation that we've been having regarding the uh, anti-LGBTQ bills that we are seeing, you, it, it's like what I mentioned earlier. It feels like a surprise, but it isn't. And if it feels like a surprise to you, then you probably uh, need to be a little bit more active. Right. You haven't been paying attention. It, it, it seems like whack-a-mole on the liberal side because you're like, wait a minute, this bill just got stomped on and then three more pop up here mm-hmm. and there are, what, 14 that are currently in, uh, in acro- across the country that have been uh, proposed in at least nine different states. 44 have been a pr- proposed so far just this year. Um, well, Texas had a record number of them last summer, which was 25, uh, yeah, proposed anti-LGBTQ bills um, that were unsuccessful, by the way. Um, they didn't go anywhere. But at the same time, it like gives you insight in terms of like the perspective of these conservative politicians. Uh, it's very scary that, you know, that they would go that far and that extreme and think that people would support them in, the, in these very, uh, you know, extreme ideas. Um, it's worked. You know, give them that. They're, they're at least smart enough to realize it got them into office and it's kept them in office so far. I do think there are limits. I mean, I, I'll be enough of an optimist to say, you know, there is redistricting coming along someday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but also, uh, you know, they're they're shooting themselves in the foot just in the same way that Donald Trump is with the Republican Party by attacking mm-hmm. Hispanics. Really? They're a uh, fast-growing demographic. Okay, fine. I'll choose to stay positive. All I want everyone to know here in America is where my parents are from, where there's a hole, you just... <laughs> pop and squat and uh you know access is not denied whether you're going number one number two or you've got an extra something or, or i well let me just put it this way where you've, yeah, you've got a bumper flat i don't know <laughs> now the funny thing is her parents are from san francisco folks oh so it- what sacramento <laughs> <laughs> 
All right, John, really quickly before we let everyone go. So this Friday's week to week political roundtable talk. What do you have for us? We have people talking about politics. <laughs> That's what you get. You get you get politics, uh, a whole plate of it. Fridays, four o'clock, right here on the Michelle Miao Show. Uh, and of course, I'll be back tomorrow at the same time, four o'clock Pacific Standard Time, right here on Progressive Voices. Thank you so much for joining us here on this beautiful Tuesday. Please enjoy your Taco Tuesday. Thank you.